0: On well, my website, I have a piece called We Asked for 2020 Vision, Now What? And what that references is something interesting I saw. It seemed like so many churches coming into January 2020 were really excited about their vision series. Because it was perfect for a pastor, right? Vision, 2020, 2020 vision. And in fact, so many of us were looking forward to 2020. It was just a cool sounding year. For decades, it was used as the futuristic year. I mean, everything was looking like 2020 was going to be amazing. And we all know what happened. For many people, 2020 brought a lot that they needed to heal from. But for others, they found that 2020 gave them the capacity to heal when they couldn't have found it otherwise. Rick's story is one of those. Rick's healing came as a result of the pandemic, but it came for an interesting reason. One of the things that he shares is most of his life, he loved to have control. And if there's one thing 2020 did, is it showed how little control we have. And there's something beautiful here in our conversation about healing, because sometimes the thing that is keeping us from healing is actually our desire for control. You're listening to episode 94 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity for Rick and I to connect. And we have never met, we have never talked, but you know both of us and you know exactly where this conversation can go far more than we could in any research we would do. And so we just give this conversation to you. We pray anything that you want to guide us to press into, that you would put it on our minds, that if there's anything you want us to not sit in, that you would help us to release it. But we just really want this to be honoring to you, but also something that just demonstrates how good you are and how how powerful you are. So we give it to you. We thank you for it. And we look forward to seeing where you take this. I was preparing in most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So Rick, it's good to meet you. I'm glad that we had this opportunity to talk. And I only know a little bit about you, but I really feel like there is a lot that's going to come out of this conversation. So I'm excited to see where it goes. But before we jump in, one thing that I like to do with guests is give them an opportunity to very briefly, but in a fun way, share who they are and I say fun way because I come up with random prompts and I don't really plan them in advance (laughs) and (laughs) so it's like a little improv game and here's the one that popped my head because it is freezing here in Virginia your prompt is this for whatever reason you've decided that you've wanted to do a door-to-door campaign to introduce yourself and so you're going and you're knocking and you're just saying who you are but the problem is is it's below freezing outside So I'm opening my door, but I don't want to keep my door open long. So whatever you have to say has to be quick, but also has to be engaging enough that I don't slam the door in your face. So I've heard the knock. I open it. There's Rick. What do you say to introduce yourself?
1: First off, Paul, I love the prompt. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) And number two, you know, it's a pleasure to have a conversation with you. So thank you for that opportunity. And thank you for your prayer to open everything. Yeah. But as far as what would I say? So Give me a sec to just kind of visualize the moment and visualize me going up to your door all bundled up mm-hmm. you being gracious enough to open the door i would say thank you for opening the door i know it's really cold and probably the last thing that you wanted to do in this situation but i think you open the door for a reason and that's so i could learn more about you so you could learn more about me and so we can help one another grow in some way because i am rick ornelas i'm a family man with three beautiful daughters and a wife of 25 years. And my goal in life is to love and to give and to serve others. And I want to do that in any way possible for you. So what do you say to that? And I would throw it back on them and see what their response is. Nice.
0: I like it. I kept the door open. I let the cold in. It was worth it to meet you. So (laughs) thank you. You know, again, I I mentioned before, there's only a little bit that I know about you. And I kind of like that approach because then I'm not planning in my head where the conversation should go. I don't know where it's going to go. And so the way I like to jump into these kind of moments is just to throw it at you. You know, you know that the concept of this series is around healing and you have some thoughts and experiences and just things that God has shown you. And so I'm just going to put the big, broad question out there. When you think of this topic of healing, when you've been thinking about this conversation, what has God been bringing to your heart?
1: He's really been telling me Paul over the past few years that healing is a ongoing process that is something that we are continuously going through in some way shape or form. You know, sure we have tragedies that come in life and I've had them in my life whether it's been deaths or loss of a job or, or all these type of things that pop up that you may be able to relate to, but after those kind of situations, we may go through a period of grief. We may go through a period of trying to understand what happens, but what he's shown me is that if we're really open to that constant healing mode, open to being able to learn from any situation, to be able to grow from any situation, then we're always evolving. We're always healing. We're always seeing the signs that he leaves before us. And we're always getting to that place that he wants us to be. And I pray this prayer of transformation for you know God to transform me into the person that he wants me to be. I pray that every day. I think the healing process is part of that, is that we're all being transformed in some way. And I think just being open to it is the most important thing, that you're open to say, hey, I'm Clay, mold me in the way that you want to mold me and heal me and transform me in whatever words you use. But But that's how I look at it.
0: Yeah. Why do you think it is that we are so resistant to the ongoing idea of healing or even the ongoing idea of transformation? Because as you're talking, it's making me think of verses that talk about like the renewal of your mind or being made new. And it's oftentimes it's this language that is like a progressive ongoing thing rather than a definitive thing. So why is it that we are so resistant to something that is ongoing?
1: I'll kind of answer your question in, in two ways. You know, one is more of the spiritual way and one is more of the tangible way that I've seen in those I coach in things, okay? Mm-hmm. The first way I think is because we are human beings that are resistant to change. I mean, we've been that way th- since the beginning of time. That we have been resistant to change and resistant to growth, especially when that change has some difficulty attached to it or it has some work attached to it. I mean, people don't mind change as much if it is something easy, right? If you come to someone and you say, hey, I'm going to change your job instead of you working eight hours a day, you only have to work two hours a day and we'll pay you the same. I mean, people would probably be a little more open to that, but they'd still resist it in some ways because they'd be like, now I'm bored for the six hours. What do mm. I do? I mean, there'd still be some issues with that. But I think the difficulty of change, just that resistance to the work and then that resistance to something new, to something that's outside what we're used to. And that takes to the second part of my answer. What I've really seen in the people that I've coached over the years is that we are creatures of habit. I mean, that, that's really how our brain operates. If, if we had to think of every single decision we make all day long, our brains couldn't mm-hmm. handle the capacity. We wake up, we brush our teeth, we drive to work, we eat breakfast. We all these things are done just out of habit. So when you have to make change, you have to disrupt that operating system. You, know, you disrupt that software program that's running. That's just one thing after the next. You have to interrupt that flow. And that becomes very hard for people to do, to interrupt that flow and throw something else into that mix or take something out and put something in its place. That's a challenging thing for a lot of people. So then they become resistant to it. So I think it's really the combination of those two. And they they both work at the same time (laughs) Mm is that resistance to the work and the change. And then it interrupting, you know, what you're used to and you having to change, you know, those habits and everything.
0: Yeah. You know, you hit something really interesting in that, and you were giving that example of being offered this new work rhythm where you only have to work for two hours, but get paid the same. And you noted that even in that, we would find something to complain about, like, oh man, what do I do with all this? I'm bored with, I need something to do. And what hit me is, you know, it really seems like we're often pursuing some ideal, right? Of what, the perfect life is or the perfect situation is, yet we're also simultaneously protecting what we have. So you said we're we're resistant to change. And so we want something better, but we also don't want to change what we have. And we might want to work less, but then we also don't want to be understimulated. And we are constantly chasing after this vague idea of what the best thing is, the best life is. Really... What it boils down to is we don't understand contentment. You know, that verse where Paul talks about, I've learned the secret to being content in all situations has come up frequently during this healing series because it's conversations with folks who have, many of them have gone through hard things that often God didn't free them from or take away. And somehow they still needed to thrive and exist and, <laughs> you know, get through the day. And that verse became meaningful because it it really does say in every situation but where we often are is whatever our current situation is it needs to change for us to be content like that's the the mindset that we operate in so when you think of your own life one of the things that you did share with me is that you had been in a place of feeling anxious of feeling isolated of just feeling desperate and then god brought this wake-up call is the way that you put it and so i'd love to hear more of that and also in thinking of this idea of contentment, because in that prior place, there is a profound lack of contentment, right? And when I look at you now, you know, you're smiling, you seem like you seem content. So tell me about that wake up call. Tell me about that journey.
1: The wake-up call really came, Paul, and thank you for referencing Paul because he's, he's one of my favorites from the Bible, from Scripture, and just all his messages and, and that he was able to be content. That's something I strive for on a daily basis is to be content in all situations. So I'm glad that you could really see that, I guess, or yeah. God pointed it out to you, I guess. But as far as my journey, it began, gosh, it's crazy to say that it's almost two years now, but it began in March of 2020 when the pandemic hit and the world shut down and life as we know it changed completely. So as we were just talking about change, that's hard for individuals. Same for me, right? It was was difficult for me. It was difficult for all of us. And it was challenging for me because I'm someone that has always liked to have control mm. and always liked to be able to have a handle on the situation and, and you know the outcome and all of that. And suddenly, you don't. You have not, all of that has been taken away completely. And so that was a very uncomfortable place for me. And what happened was my business coaching business and consulting business had slowed down significantly. One client that I was the COO for, they had to lay me off because of the rules of employment and everything. And and I found my income reduced very significantly. I mean, almost to nothing. Mm -hmm. And I became very anxious, very fearful, not knowing what the future held, wondering how I was going to provide for my family, pay for my mortgage, all the same things that I'm sure others can relate to. And at that time, I went into that dark place, that kind of Victim mentality of, oh, you know, woe is me. What do I do now? And not really knowing how I was going to handle things. Thankfully for me, and, you know, I thank God for this, it didn't last too, too long because after praying and reflection, I quickly realized that I was being given some gifts at the time. The biggest gift was the gift of time biggest gift was being able to have my family all around me all the time be, be with them all day long which was so incredibly valuable and we would go on long walks every morning and evening and you know the dog probably thought that it was the greatest time in the world because she got walked more than any other time but we would go with all of us and you know, all of us and, we, and we'd have these great times and conversations and my wife and i would go on these long walks in the morning and i realized that i quickly changed my perspective and then, like I said, it didn't really take that long uh, for me, thankfully, because within a few short weeks, I realized that this perspective shift was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity for myself and it was a great opportunity to share with others. So I wrote a blog post that was entitled how to use COVID as an opportunity, how to use the COVID you know, lockdown, I think was the exact title, as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I just kept writing and I had to put it at, make it two blogs, cause it was so long. It was all about using the time as that opportunity. To be grateful to be present with your family to take that time and share it with the ones you love and to make yourself better and to help others that were less fortunate i also realized that okay while you're thinking that you really don't have a lot right now you're rich in so many ways Mm -hmm. you know as the bible tells us i was wealthy in so many so many other ways it led me to writing a book that had been in my head for 20 years Hmm. This idea for this book that God had placed in my head 20 years earlier, and I had never acted on it. Like so many of us where we were given this idea or this gift, and then we don't do anything with it. And we, we don't use the talents like we should. Mm-hmm. I started writing my book, 12 Hours of Heaven, Lessons for a Better World. And I started writing it in April, early April of 2020 and sometime around the beginning of June. So I'd been writing for a couple months. I'd been going about it very methodically. You write 500 to 1,000 words a day. I I wrote every afternoon, just really structured, which is what I was used to from my work, and that was a comfortable place for me. Mm -hmm. Again, we don't like to change, right? So that Mm -hmm. was my comfortable place. Even though I was doing something new, it was comfortable because it was within the bounds of what I knew. Well, around the beginning of June, that's when God had other plans. (laughs) That's when Mm -hmm. he he had other plans, and he really started opening my eyes to what was happening the changes that were happening in me as a result of writing and how my work would impact others and how it would help them and i went through this period that lasted for about a month five weeks maybe even six it lasted till the end of july when I finished the book, but I went through this period where my writing flourished. I felt like the story was just being downloaded to me as a Mm -hmm. friend of mine. She said, you were receiving divine downloads, which, Mm -hmm. uh, which I love that term that it was just being given to me. and, And I started writing over 2000 words in a couple hours and the story just flowed and I would get very emotional as I would write. I mean, I would come to tears as I was writing and I literally felt the presence of God in this room. This is my office, my home office. And there's been very few times in my life, and I I always pray to have these times more often, but that I could feel him right, like as if he was was standing over my shoulder, like as if he was standing right there. And I would have dreams and visions. I'd wake up at all hours of the night with these dreams and and these ideas. This is flood of creative ideas of things that I needed to do, things that I needed to create. And all this work that I had to do beyond Writing a book that I had to do more, that that book was going to be good and help people, and that I needed to do more beyond it Mm -hmm. to impact more people and and serve others in a greater capacity. And that's where I realized that for years, for years, you know, 20 or, 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 you know, 40 or, you know, greater part of my life. That getting back to what you know you're originally asking that's where i realized that i wasn't being content in what i had i was always kind of searching for that other thing but for the wrong reasons Mm -hmm. i was always searching to grow for myself or for the things that i felt i wanted like oh to make more money or, or to have more material things or that those were what was important in my life and it was at that time where i realized you know god opened my eyes to see that yes i could be content or at least work towards being like Paul and being content in any situation. And also that my future was a future that he was going to guide me along and not something that I was going to choose for myself. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been working on to this day. And that's where it led me to finish the book and launch it and then launch my organization, I Spark Change, to spread positive change and elevate social impact and empower others to do so. And, and that's where I feel he's guided me to this point to this point that we are sitting here today in the beginning of 2022, it's been a couple year journey and I'm just at the beginning. Yeah,
0: I really appreciate that story. And especially because it just gets my mind going on this theme that I have been processing personally, but has also come up in a number of the conversations I've had. And it's that at every given point we have in our mind what the best case scenario is we know what our perspective is, and we're pretty confident in what we think is going on and what we think needs to happen. And what's beautiful about your story is it really demonstrates the limitations that we put on ourselves when we don't actually like say, all right, God, here I am. Because prior to March 2020, your best case scenario was that your coaching business would thrive. The COO position would thrive. Maybe they pay you more. Maybe there'd be another one. Like, you could flesh out this vision of what would be the best thing for you and for your family and for the entities that you're serving and supporting. You had a clear idea. If God had said to you, I'm gonna take away that COO position, there were probably plenty of points where you've been like, No, God, you won't. <laughs> or maybe you would have been like, Oh, God, but please don't, please don't take away. There's so many times in scripture we see people asking God, please don't do this thing. And But on this end of it, if you could talk to yourself in the past, you'd be like, no, 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 no. You have no idea. I know. Sure. This sounds crazy. Losing your job, losing almost all your income. I get it. I know that. But trust me. Trust me. You want to go on that road. We would never choose some of the things that God invites us to in his wisdom. And even the things that we have a sense that God's inviting us to, there are so many things that keep us from moving forward. You mentioned you've been sitting on this book <laughs> and maybe you had plenty of times where you're like, all right, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. But uh, I can't really do it until I get this settled in the business or I can't really do it until I carve out. This. So maybe when the kids are older, maybe, you know, like we have all these reasons for why we can't. And when God invites us to something, it's not that he's telling us to also figure out how to do it. The first step is to find out, are we willing to do it, even if we can't figure out how to do it? God graciously gave you the gift of time, which took away one of the significant barriers. But I love that, this idea of, we think we know what the best thing for us is, and we don't, but God does. Now, it's particularly hard when the way there comes with hardship. And as you mentioned, like, we are resistant to that. We're resistant to change.
1: You two years ago could not have pictured who you are today. That's completely accurate. Yeah. Go back to even right before, you know, exactly two years ago, January, just before a pandemic, January, February, right before I had a completely different vision. Exactly. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Paul. I had a completely different vision of what the future held for myself. Mm -hmm. One of my mentors, he says that aside from praying that the best person to give you advice is your 10 year older self Mm -hmm. is yourself 10 years from now, right? Even five years from now is to give you advice because they're going to have the wisdom that they have learned along the way on that journey. So me two years into the future, like you said, going back to myself two years ago and saying, Hey, this is what's going to happen. These. I mean. It would have been foreign. All of this would have been foreign to me and probably would have resisted it. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, I love the saying of God's always on time or his timing is perfect or however you want to phrase it. It's been phrased a hundred ways is that... That he knows already <laughs> what the destiny is. And if we're open to it and we allow the change to happen, then we can fulfill the destiny that he wants for us. And one thing that I don't want to have happen in some of the things with iceberg Change, as I've done research, I've read tons of research just on different people and studies and human behavior and everything. And I found this one study that talks about speaking to people at the end of their lives. Mm-hmm. Over 75%, I think it's like 78% exactly, of people when questioned at the end of their life, you know, how was your life? They have regrets. They wish they had lived out this dream that they had or tried something that they were afraid to try. And I don't want that to be me Mm -hmm. at the end. You know, at the end, when I come face to face with God, I want to say, hey, I took everything that you asked me You know, like Paul, Mm -hmm. I fought the good fight. I finished the task and know that I've done everything that I can, you know, that he wanted me to do. I I don't want to get to that point and, you know, him to say, oh, well, why didn't you do that? Now, I don't think you would ever do that, but (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like if you think of it in movie format, Mm -hmm. you know, for him to get to that point and say, you know, I I gave you these opportunities and they were wasted. That's not a place that I want to be. And looking back on my life, I can think of times where. I wasn't listening mm-hmm. and I wasn't making those changes and so I've committed that that's not where I want to be yeah. you know anymore that I want to transform it. Yeah. You
0: know, here's what's interesting is this concept of hindsight. Most people would get behind the idea that you shared, that the version of you two, five, 10 years from now is going to know a lot more than you do. Most people can get behind that because it's pretty solid logic, right? Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that despite the fact that we all agree with that, right now today, most of us think we've got a lock on what we need to know. Most of us today are failing to recognize that there is a version, hypothetically of us, that is two, five, 10 years ahead of us. And we move forward with such confidence or sometimes arrogance around what we think we're supposed to do, who we think we're supposed to be, failing to know (laughs) that we are that younger version, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Based on that, how do you live in such a way that you know that right now there's a lot that you don't know?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. That's an excellent question, Paul. And I think for me and learning what I've learned from all the people that I've coached over the years is that it's remembering that every day Mm -hmm. it's remembering that you don't have all the answers you don't know everything, that you have far more to learn to become the person that you need to be. And one of the things that I share with people, a lot of my work that I do with people I coach is around goals Mm -hmm. and reaching goals and having the right mindset to hit those goals. And one of the things that I always share with them is that you're not going to accomplish a goal by being the person that you are today. You're going to accomplish a goal by living as the person that you need to be to accomplish that goal. So for example, I've been a CrossFit coach for a long time and, and I do that as a hobby still. I coach people in health and everything as a part of my life. So if someone says, hey, I don't work out, they come into the gym, it's their first time and they don't work out and they like, you like, know, I eat terrible and I don't work out and everything. And they say, hey, I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to be healthier. I want to get in shape. They're not going to get to that destination being the person that they've been mm-hmm. they have to be that future version of themselves what would the person you want to be do in this situation how would they work out oh they would work out every day they They'd work out without fail they work out with intensity how would they eat oh they'd, they'd eat very healthy they'd eat clean they wouldn't eat fast food all the habits and the things that that person would do your ideal self if you will or the person that you need to become while still being content with where you are and still being content in the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the important part is that you're content in the journey. At the same time, knowing that you will always be growing, you will always be evolving and you can always be better. You know, when you get to that point where, and I've seen it happen with people, you know, to use that exercise metaphor, I've seen it happen with people where they think, oh yeah, I could never, you know, run a 5K. And then a few years later, they're running marathons and they've run three or four. And because they could never envision themselves as that future self. You are in a constant state of growth. (laughs) You're Mm -hmm. in a constant state of growth. You just have to be present in the journey and do the things that you know that the person you're trying to be would do. And that's how I operate on a daily basis. And that's how I pray that God leads me to operate on a daily basis is being the person that he wants me to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big part of what I pray for in that transformational prayer is being the person that he wants me to be and living that way, living that self.
0: Yeah. There was something that had popped in my mind that I was like, okay, I think I want to talk about this. And then you talked about goal setting and it affirmed that, yes, this is the question. You're the right person to talk about this topic that I've been thinking about a lot. So, we've been talking about this on an individual level and recognizing that we are in a constant state of being healed or being transformed. We are constantly growing, constantly changing. And what's challenging is we also live in a space where it's not just us, but the world is constantly changing, right? The question that I have that I've been processing is around the reality that we are invited as believers to live in attention. And what I mean by that is tension is throughout the scripture. I think most notably of, you know, you are in, but not of the world. Like we have to simultaneously recognize, yep, I am a person living in the world, but also I am something else. (laughs) I'm being made new in this other thing that doesn't operate by the rules of the world and isn't dictated by, isn't even controlled by death anymore, right? Like this tension of both being one thing, but also knowing you are not that thing. One of the hardest things as we're trying to get through life or if somebody's in a space where they need healing from something is we can project out as you were talking, like, where is it that I feel like God is inviting me to be, that I long to be, that would be healthy for me to be. And there is a very healthy and viable element of that moving forward in a direction rather than just saying, well, there's nothing I can do or like thinking less of yourself. Right. So that is a healthy thing. But we live in this tension where we also live in a world where a pandemic can happen and change everything. (laughs) I can't tell you how many nonprofits I know about that coming into 2020, were really excited about enacting their five-year plan. And none of those five-year plans have come to be, not because they didn't set goals, not because they didn't have a vision, but because life threw a pretty hefty global curveball. So my question is this. How do we live in the tension of both setting goals, of casting a vision, of seeking God for what he may be inviting us to, while also knowing at any given moment, all of that could change. At any given moment, tragedy can hit. At any given moment, the bottom can drop out. And yet somehow, Paul says, we have to be content in every situation, both the best and the absolute worst. How do we live in that tension,
1: Rick? Tell me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a question that, you know, obviously people have struggled with for millennia, right? As I said before, I, I'm glad you brought up Paul because because I think he's the model. The way I look at it, the way I coach others, so to going back to, you know, you asked about how I work with others, is the way I coach them is having a growth mindset in any situation and having a mindset of positivity and opportunity, okay? So those three things, growth, positivity, and opportunity. For example, I live outside of Houston, Texas, and a year ago, coming up on a year, we had that Arctic freeze in (laughs) in Houston where we had eight inches of snow on the ground. I mean, just craziness, okay? Again, another thing that who would have ever predicted that where I live? I mean, nobody. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's pipes, no electricity for days, no water, all these horrible things at first glance, people are like, okay, it's like the pandemic. That's awful. You know, What are you going to do? People are dying and it's harmful. With having the growth mindset, having that positive mindset and looking for opportunity, what did I do with my family? I took my daughters and we went sledding on tubes and we went sliding, mm-hmm. sliding on tubes in the snow because that's something that they can never do. And they loved it and they enjoyed it. We had friends come over that they didn't have any heat and we have a gas fireplace. So we had some heat. So they were able to come over and and their kids, they have little small kids and they were able to warm themselves by the fire. And we connected and we played games and, and we were positive about the situation and we looked for ways to help others. I had opportunity. And then the growth in that situation, it's like, okay my pipes broke, now what do I need to do now to prevent this? So how do I need to change my house or how do I need to change the situation or all the infrastructure things that happen on a bigger scale than just what I see in my house that happened for the state of Texas should something happen again. Mm -hmm. I think the key, it's those three things and it all rolls around up here around your mindset. It all revolves around having a mindset that no matter what comes your way, you know that that future version of yourself is gonna look back and say, oh, I'm really glad that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really glad that I did lose my job or I'm really glad that we did have the snow because now that it's cold again, hey, I already have the pipes all set up and so I know they're not mm-hmm. going to, to break this time it's really a perspective a shift it's really a change in perspective that's how i coach others that's what i live by yeah and it took me years decades to get to this point okay i'm Mm -hmm. not trying to preach like i'm you know some expert i mean it, it was a long time to get to this point and a lot of guidance from others and from god to realize that just last week my daughter was in a car accident Someone backed into her. She was in a drive-thru and someone backed into her and, you know, it was an 80 year old man and he backed into her and she's honking and he couldn't hear and he backed into her and, you know, she was all upset and everything at the situation and, and, you know, her age, uh, 18, I, I would have been too. And, and then I was like, hey, you've been wanting to get another car. You know, your car's really old and it's run down and you need another car. And just think, you know, this this gives us an opportunity that you can get another car And looking for the positive in the situation and the opportunity that provides. And it's going to help her grow by learning, you know, the growth. In this case, I had her, they called because uh, it was a claim, you know, had to do the claim and go through. She's like, well, what do I do? I'm like, you go on the phone and you talk to them. And I let mm. her do it all by herself. And then she had to call yeah. the, Oh, I need to call the insurance. I'm like, Nope, I can't help you. You know, I'm busy. You take care of it. So she learns and grows and she was resisting that and upset and everything. And then she's like, Oh yeah, I got it all taken care of. And this is happening. And I got the new insurance and all these things that she learned. And so she's going to grow out of the situation and be better for it next time mm-hmm. because of what happened. So I think that's the key. At least yeah. that's the key that, that I work with. Yeah. <laughs> that's the key that, that I've been shown that works for me and, and I've helped others with it, you know, as well.
0: And it makes me think too of something you said at the start that coming into the pandemic, like control was one of the things that God was going to break. you. <laughs> was this idea of like needing to control things. And it's interesting, like in what you just shared, we see that playing out in multiple forms from your daughter who her sense of control is like, I don't want to do this new thing. Like, I don't want to do this scary. I don't want, I have no idea how to do this. And it's like this control of I want to do what I'm comfortable with. And then the other end of it is this control of, I want to get to my destination. Like I want to, I'm going to do what I have to do to achieve this. And then if something pushes against that, like a pandemic, (laughs) then that's where we tighten up. And so a big part of this is really learning who is it that we want to have control over our life. Our gut instinct is ourselves, because if anything else, if anyone else has control, then we don't. And so we can't call the shots. We can't protect ourselves. What if we can't trust them? They could wound us, right? We might say as believers that we want to release control to God. We want God to control our lives. But a lot of times we don't trust him. A lot of times we don't like his ideas. A lot of times we don't like the destinations. It's a control piece, right? Like We are constantly being given invitations to release control, to die to self, as Jesus put it, Mm -hmm. so that we can follow him. For me, the way that I have been invited to press into this is the concept of holding things loosely. And so the tension, the balance for me is, you know, I'm serving full-time ministry now. And so I am dictating a lot of what I do and I want to do my due diligence. I want to be responsible for my time. I want to make sure that I'm not squandering the gifts that God's given me. And so I will try to plan out what that looks like, but God is constantly giving me this invitation to hold things loosely. It's like he's saying, yes, Paul, go ahead and figure this thing out, but hold it loosely just in case I change everything. And- He keeps changing everything because for me coming into 2020, I was just about to embark on a whole new form of serving in my community, serving alongside youth with a mission, serving alongside my church and all the big plans that I was excited about, bam, were gone. But man, have I seen God work in ways that I wouldn't have pursued. Uh, I wouldn't have expected. I wouldn't have been able to get to. And it took holding those things loosely. Picking up some things, but then being willing for God to take them away. So yeah, I love that. And I love that that's the way you're inviting people is to recognize in any given situation. There are a lot of different ways we can look at situations. And you're saying there is a healthy way we can do it that actually can get us somewhere beautiful. I did want to ask, you know, I'm
1: curious about the title of your book, 12 Hours in Heaven. What is that from? As I was sharing earlier, the story that became 12 Hours of Heaven was given to me 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, I was living in Southern California, Northern Southern California with my wife and two daughters at the time. And they were one in four. So they were little and we were living there, raising a young family. And I was still young and arrogant and really focused on myself still, even though being being a young father and trying to navigate life. Mm. We had driven down to Los Angeles about two and a half hours south of where we lived to uh, go to a children's birthday party. And we're coming back from this party and it's raining really hard and in texas we're kind of used to that i've lived here for 13 years and in texas it rains like nobody's business you know cats and dogs and that just kind of happens with regularity and in california that was not the case you know they say nobody knows how to drive in the rain in southern california and it was pretty true and as we're coming back on the freeway it's raining so hard that the wipers can't really clear the water fast enough so you could barely see Mm. and we see cars pulling over and we contemplate doing that but it's getting late in the afternoon. And my wife is worried that it's gonna get dark and we're gonna be stuck. Mm. And it was a Sunday, we had to get back, school and everything, and work. And so we kind of continue along slowly in the slow lane. And we end up hitting a large puddle of water on the freeway. And I lose control of the vehicle. Mm. And we start spinning out of control. And we're spinning and I'm screaming and my wife is screaming. And my kids had been asleep and, and I don't know what's going on with them, but we the, the vehicle's spinning. We spin across four lanes to the left. And thankfully, there are not a lot of cars, we don't hit anyone and we're about to hit the center divider and I'm trying to steer and correct and use the pedals. I don't, I'm trying to remember what I learned in, in school, you know, yeah. driving school, what you do in that situation. And miraculously, we don't hit the center divider and we start spinning the other direction and we spin back across four lanes the other way. Mm-hmm. And we go off the freeway up a dirt embankment and we hit a brick wall and we flip over mm-hmm. and we land back on the wheels. And the windshield is smushed down below our faces and it's shattered. And, you know, the roof is smushed down and it's shattered. And the right side of the glass is shattered and the right side's all smashed in. And the car's filled with dirt, I guess, when we flipped and scooped dirt or or something. And, you know, I check my wife and she's okay. She's a little sore on her right shoulder and my kids are crying. They, They had woken up, but despite all the glass and everything, there's no blood whatsoever. I, I don't even know if my car had airbags at the time, you know, 2000, um, but there was no airbags that opened or anything. Mm-hmm. We crawl out of my side, we crawl out of my door and, and it's still pouring rain and an elderly couple had pulled over and they come out and a lady grabs this big blanket from her trunk and she wraps it around my wife who's sitting on the side of the road in the rain, just clutching my daughters and crying and thanking God that they're okay. And, you know, being the young kind of cocky guy that I was at the time, I'm thinking well we're okay maybe it wasn't that big of a deal right mm. and the old man he says to me he says that's the most incredible thing i've ever seen in my life he had witnessed the whole thing he says i can't believe that you're alive that you got out of the vehicle and the car gets towed off and get taken in the ambulance You know, i'm still thinking oh was it really that bad and then my sister comes to pick us up at the hospital and my youngest daughter kinsey who was like i said about one. She wouldn't get in the car. She didn't want to get in the car. Mm. She was afraid to get in the car. And I was like, wow, look at the effect it has on her. And she's only one. The next day I go to the impound place to pick up some things from the car and it's sitting on a flatbed outside of the office. And I go inside of the office and I say, Hey, I'm here to pick up things from that car outside. And he's like, which car? And I go the black Grand Prix that's on the flatbed. And he says, that's not your car. And I'm like, yeah, that's my car. And he goes, no, that, that, whoever's driving that is either dead or, or mm. severely injured. And I was like, no, that's, that's my car. And people kept, when they'd seen the vehicle or people, I'd tell a story and they're like, it's a miracle that you guys are alive. And my mom said, you know, your guardian angel protected you. You, you had a guardian angel in the car with you because there's no way you would have made it. And I started to reflect. I think that's really where God really started to change me <laughs> because I started to reflect. And I went through this period over a few weeks where I was thinking about everything and evaluating my life and the value of life. And my mother had given me this little guardian angel pin to stick in in my car in the visor. Mm. Something a mom would do, right? Mm -hmm. And one day I'm sitting there staring at it and kind of having a daydream. And all of a sudden the idea for 12 Hours of Heaven hits me like I had just watched a movie. It hits me clear as day. Like I see the story as it would become so many years later. And afterward I said, hey, I need to write this. And I wrote what I called a to-do list for every day that I still read every week on things that I want to live my life by, like being grateful and being present and thanking God for every second. And I didn't write the story at the time. I wrote about a page and then I, went back to being my usual self. And and God kept throwing these signs throughout the years. And and then it wasn't until, as I said, at COVID, where everything came together, pandemic, where I decided to write the story. But where the title comes from, and this is a very long answer to your question, <laughs> Paul, but where, where the title comes from is, the story is about an angel that comes down from heaven to help people. Hmm. It's not specifically about it. You know, he doesn't help someone in an accident, but he gets trapped in an elevator with 10 people who are all completely different, you know, that don't know each other. And he gets trapped in this elevator with them for a period of 12 hours overnight. And during those 12 hours, he's able to help them all through the biggest challenges that they're facing in their lives and helps them to change and grow. And so people often think, they think, oh, did you die in your accident or did you, you know, did you see a light or were you gone for 12 hours or things like that? You know, it's not the case for me. I've read many of those stories and it's not the case for me. And those are beautiful for me, I think I was just given the story because it's something that the different characters people can relate to the different characters in some way, and it's something that is topical with things that people are you know have going on. Everything that was going on in 2020, you know, a lot of those things were themes that were woven into the into the story. So I think you know it all came together when it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. But that's the story that was given, and, yeah. and that's the title that I went with. And and I have another one um, that I'm working on in the series, at Twelve Hours of Heaven." Time on Earth is the working title.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. And that both are powerful stories, the story you wrote, but also the story you experienced. You know, as you were talking, what really struck me is if I'm reading that book, I become aware before the characters in the elevator, I'm assuming I become aware before the characters in the elevator do that there is an angel in the elevator, right? And so I'm able to look at that story in a different way than the characters who are on that elevator. And in the same way, it made me think that's how we are in our lives is we never realize we're the character in a story. We are just like, this is here and now. And, but when you are reading a story, there are certain ways that you engage with that. There are certain things that you know that are different than if you're the character. For example, if I'm watching a movie and it's about this hero, and the hero is in this situation where it looks like they're going to die more often than not, I know they're not going to die because that would be the end of the movie, right? So I had this knowledge about the rules of the movie that mean that this character is not going to die. But the character in the movie, he's afraid he is going to die, right? And how often are we like that in life where we're in a car accident or we are diagnosed with cancer or we lose our job or our relationship looks like it's ending, that we are in those spots and suddenly we are fearful meanwhile the guy who's writing the story god like <laughs> knows the rules of the story like he knows what he's trying to accomplish in the episode that i'm editing now we talk about the disciples and jesus being on a boat on the sea and a deadly storm comes and you know it's deadly because the fishermen are afraid they've been in storms so if they're afraid this is a bad storm and jesus is napping because <laughs> jesus knew that his father wasn't going to kill him. He knew that he had to get to the other side of the sea, and he knew he had a lot more ahead, so he knew he wasn't going to die. So it doesn't matter how deadly the storm is. He's taking a nap, (laughs) but we're like the disciples. We're freaking out because of this huge life issue that's destroying all the goals we had planned or all the things that we had hoped for ourselves or all the things we had built. And we just don't understand how the story works (laughs) because the author of our story is a good, good father, is a good and powerful God. And he's not trying to make our lives tragedies. He's trying to draw us back to him. And so I love that you're using story as a way to communicate who God is and how he can transform our lives. And I love how God's using your story to do the same.
1: It's beautiful. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you, Paul. I love that analogy. I think I'm going to have to borrow that and share that with others is go for you know, it about the story, <laughs> you know, in our lives, because it's so true. As I said earlier, he already knows the destiny. He already knows the plan. And that's so perfect and so accurate. Mm-hmm. I think another part of it is if we knew that we couldn't die in that situation, then I almost think that we wouldn't try as hard. So Mm. think of like a video game where you can just play it over. Or you have another life, you have another life, you have another life, you just over and over and over again. It doesn't mean that you don't try, but if you knew that it was for real, would you act differently? If you didn't have a net on the trapeze, would you make sure that you were fully prepared and that you're not going to fall, Yeah. right? Or if you're climbing and you don't have the rope, you know, anything in life, there's so many examples so I think that's the part where faith comes into play is that knowing that God has our back mm-hmm. in all situations and he knows the end and we don't, and that he's going to take care of it regardless of, you know, what happens, regardless of whether it's a pandemic or an accident, or as you said, loss of job or anything that he's got it covered. Yeah. He knows it's going to have a happy ending because any of us who believe we know we're going to have a happy ending mm-hmm. <laughs> anyways, and it's just making the most of that journey in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's that tension again. Simultaneously, God's got us covered, but also Jesus does say, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) Like This is going to cost you everything. It's that tension that keeps us from not being complacent, but also not being fearful. And we really would love to be able to just to lock that down and then to live perfectly. (laughs) But it's what we said earlier at the very start of this. This is an ongoing thing. This is a progressive thing. Through the course of our lives, we are going to continue to learn how to tread that line between fear and complacency that is walking straight after Jesus, straight towards God. And as we do that, we begin to see the journey more fully. We understand God more fully. We understand ourselves more fully. But there is always so much more we can learn about all those things. And there's so much more we could talk about, Rick. (laughs) But for the sake of time, I want to make sure I leave space for two more questions they're simple. So the first one is this, if anyone wanted to connect with you, if anyone wanted to get your book, if anyone wanted to connect with any other content you're creating, how can they do so?
1: Well, as far as connecting with me, our website is iSparkChange. It's just the letter I and then spark change. Social media, Instagram, we have a very active social media, especially Instagram, so they can follow us on Instagram. They'll see daily positivity and inspiration and scripture and motivation and and then see what's going on with iSpark Change as well. If they go to the website, then they can join iSpark Change and they'll receive 25 creative ways to spread positive change. And again, our monthly newsletter, which has inspiration and positivity and everything. And for 12 Hours of Heaven, there is a link on the website. They can also go to 12 hoursofheavencom and that's the number one too. Or just search it on Amazon, search on Amazon, search it on Google. It will pop up. They can get it there. And I would just say, you know, wherever they connect is to share, you know, who they are, share who they are, where they're from, what they're struggling with, what challenges they have, we answer all our DMS and all our emails and everything. Most of the time I do. So yeah, I'd love to hear from your community. That's
0: great. And the last question is, is there anything else on your heart that you feel like you should share before we go?
1: Well first off thank you for the conversation Paul I've very very much enjoyed it and yeah. and loved where it went and the flow of the conversation and I had no doubt when we started that God would direct it in the right ways and, <laughs> and and did for sure and then secondly is that I don't believe that we met on accident that we met on accident or that you know your listeners you know there's a reason that they may get something from our conversation or that it will impart something in them. But I would just say for anyone that hears this conversation is to know that whatever challenges they have, whatever changes are going on in their life, that they can grow, that they can have opportunity and there is positivity in any situation and that they can make a difference in the world and spread some positive change. It's going to have an impact on others and make the world a better place.
0: You will love, you will love. Through the streets, shouting praise to the one, you're healed,
1: you're
0: clean. Go out, tell the people what you seen. Revived in him, new life in him. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We talked in a previous episode about how this passage is a favorite among people. We love to grab onto it, and we love to kind of shape it to what we really want, which is for there to be plans for us, for there to be hope, for there to be prosperity, for there to be a future. Because as we've talked often on this podcast about, there is a drive within us for those things. And the danger is, is sometimes that can be the thing that we walk towards instead of Jesus. Now, Rick wasn't coming up with bad plans for his life before March 2020. And if you had laid before him the option of losing his job, of being stuck at home, he wouldn't have chosen those because they would not have aligned with his plans for his future. You know, we like to stop at verse 11, but it keeps going. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. So while we stop at 11, which ends on our future, God wants us to keep on going to 12, which says that anything he does for us is actually just the thing to get us to what is really the point, a relationship with him, connection with him, being in his presence. And this is something Rick discovered in his journey, that the disruption of his life actually led him to a deeper place with God than he could have found in his own efforts and on his own paths. And this is the danger of control, because as long as we are trying to control our outcomes, as long as we are trying to control our future, as long as we are trying to control our understanding, as long as we are trying to control how difficult something is, how much pain we have to endure, as long as we are trying to control anything, we're not letting God control everything. We're keeping just a little bit, or sometimes a lot of it, in our grasp to make sure that we know where our path is going. But there is no way for us to know our path and if we knew it, there would be no way for us to understand it. All of this is beyond our comprehension. We've got these piddly human minds, but God in his patient graciousness walks with us as he is doing these things, as he is inviting us into places, as he is helping us to endure hardship. Sometimes God has a beautiful healing for us, but our hold on controlling our outcome, our future, our willingness, our abilities, Our hold, our control on any of these things can actually keep us from releasing ourselves to the healing God has for us. But here's the good news. We are actually invited to one element of control. And that's this, that we have control over whether or not we try to control things. It is our choice to relinquish control. God doesn't control that part because he gave us that free will. He gives the invitation. Sometimes he encourages us, Sometimes he nudges us pretty hard because he wants abundantly more than we could ask or imagine for us. But at the end of the day, that's the one thing we control, our ability to relinquish control. So if you're in a place where you need healing, where you are desiring healing, maybe you need to relinquish control over what that healing should look like, what that healing even is, how long that healing takes, what form it takes, how you get it. Maybe there is an invitation here to relinquish control, to say, God, you know my desire, you know what I want, you know how I want things to go, but not my will, but yours be done. I relinquish my control to you. I relinquish the control of my life to you. And then see what he does. Because here is the thing that we must learn from 2020 is that no matter how much we think we control we can't control everything so why wouldn't we want to give control to relinquish control to the only one who actually can control everything again he is after abundantly more than we can ask or imagine he knows the healing we need and he's not trying to protect our piddly human minds and human bodies he is actually making us into a new creation so Take the invitation to relinquish control and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't wanna read Revelation. And here's the thing, the hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what Revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal Revelation study. It's not gonna dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what Revelation means, it's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wharedyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out, because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through revelation, whatever you feel about revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?